Hello and welcome to our Doom Podcast. My name is Brandon McIntosh. I am your host, just like every week. And across from me, I don't have my co-host this week. We are not in the podcast studio. Tyler is in quarantine, but he is having issues with power today. He's out there in Otterville, Ontario with no power, which is pretty terrifying, to say the least. Uh, but uh, he'll, he'll come out of it okay. And when he gets his power back, he'll join us on the podcast. For now, I have a guest co-host with me who's going who's gonna to take the reins. He's going he's gonna to touch on some heavy shit because uh, really there's only one topic to, t- to talk about now. When it comes to the end of the world, it is the COVID-19. That's right, the big virus. Right? We started this podcast to talk about theories of all these things. And now we're doing a play-by-play of the end of the world. I did not, did not at all expect that. But uh, anyways, our co-host today is a, a guy I've worked with for many years in uh, the Canadian television and indie, co- indie film world and uh, Canadian comedy. This guy, he's a great guy. He's gotten us lots of jobs. He's, uh, he's helped me and Tyler out. And uh, he's a good friend of ours. He's out here in, uh, or he's out there in British Columbia right now. Got out of the big city of Toronto. And uh, move to BC, which is probably a good move. Our uh, co-host today is Danny Mendlo. Danny, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Well, thanks for being on the other side of the country and willing to talk to me today. (laughs) Our conversation got a little cut off, so we're going to take out the first quarter chunk of this and uh, leave the rest in, because the first quarter doesn't sound good. Sounds like a potato. We didn't talk about that much, you know, we kind of spitballed a few conspiracy theories. We weren't really on track, so the latter half of the podcast is better anyway, so enjoy. Since I was a kid, I, I was like you, I, I was always renting from the school library, you know, all the, the alien books and the conspiracy I know, books. I never understood why, do they, why did they have all that, because whenever I'd get <laughs> way too into it, they, I'd get in trouble. I'd like do a presentation on it. You get abducted by aliens at night and I make a bunch of girls cry. And then, like, like I got this book from your library. Like, what's the problem? Like, you got all these wacky books. I want to read them. Yeah, it is strange that they did have a whole section. And it hasn't for for, for for the young kids listening. When Brandon and I were, went to school, we had real physical books in the school. There was a library in the school. Hey, they still have books. <laughs> they still have books. I've been in schools recently. Don't don't ask. I, I work for a first moving <laughs> company, and in the summer we had to move shit around. But no, they still have books, and they still have books on the supernatural and paranormal, like a lot, and not just like goosebumps, like legit books that I have today that I read about, like UFOs. Oh, yeah, no, they I, used have, to, I used to I used to, I used to get all the alien books and bring them home, and I'd get, I'd have nightmares for weeks, and I yeah. couldn't walk. Like I I grew up in the in the forest, like. <laughs> surrounded by woods so like just leaving my doorstep at night you know you're surrounded by creepy sounds and animals and uh and i could look up and see the stars every night you know my favorite thing to do as a kid was to lie on my roof and look up at the stars yeah but uh and learning about this it was weird i feel like like uh this podcast i've started all about the end of the world and just like that's something that keeps most people up at night and it, it probably keeps, it keeps me up at night, but I feel like I've been like obsessing over that kind of stuff since 
probably I got into UFOs and aliens when I was a kid, right? I just lay awake with all this information now. <laughs> like, they just come into my bedroom and take me. Like, that's just the life I live now. That's what I know. And I would. I'd have, like, nightmares over it, but I'd still obsess over it. And to this day, I'm still like that with everything. Like, things that terrify me, I just need to know more. I need to know more, right? Like, sleep paralysis. I got in a real deep dive with sleep paralysis because I experienced that. And the deeper I dove, like, it was just getting scarier and scarier. Have you, you what know, is sleep? sleep? I don't know anything about sleep paralysis. What sleep, is that? Sleep paralysis, it's, it's similar. It's like you're, you're in REM sleep. It's kind of a, they don't know what exactly causes it, like a chemical imbalance, but essentially you wake up in REM sleep and like you're conscious and awake. You can, you're looking around your room, but your body's still paralyzed because that's what happens when you go into REM sleep to prevent yourself from acting out your dream. That's why some people walk in their sleep, they'll thrash around because, you know, every once in a while they'll get a kick in there, you know, they'll free themselves from that paralysis. But most people are pretty still in REM sleep. So but essentially you wake up, it's like the opposite of sleepwalking. Like you're frozen, but you're completely conscious and you wake up. But there's still a little dream residue and it messes with you. Because because the state you're in, it feels like... Oh, wow. It feels like this is something that people experience all over the world through history. You, you, you this had is, this recently? I, not recently. This was... Years ago, I, I had four very, very clear experiences with sleep paralysis. And uh, it wasn't until the sec- after the second time I figured out what someone told me what sleep paralysis was. And I looked it up, watched a documentary. I'm like, okay, good. My house isn't haunted. Okay, this is terrifying. Because you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't move. And it feels like someone's on top of you. Like it feels like there's a person sitting on your chest or like sitting on the bed or just pinning you down because it's, I think it's really your mind playing with the fact that you're paralyzed, but it doesn't know why, but you're still kind of dreaming. So you're awake and asleep kind of at the same time. That's what I understand. But if you don't okay, know well, that, it, it feels like you're waking up and there's a person strangling you and then d- disappears into the air. And uh, at, I remember I woke up, I took a bus all the way to Nova Scotia and I didn't sleep the whole time. It was a terrible ride. And by the time I got to my aunt's house, I crashed hard, but I had the trippiest sleep. I kept waking up. I thought there was someone in the bed with me and they kept shifting and rolling around next to me. Like the whole night I kept thinking that. And that's, that's what people experience with sleep paralysis. Just like this other presence with them. Fascinating. Um, yeah, well, let's dig into DMT on the mind for a minute. Then. Uh, <laughs> that's like a 45-minute discussion, completely adjacent to everything else that we're yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah, I think I was talking about I'm just obsessed with things that kind of terrify me. Yeah. Well, my, my dad used to get he used to sleepwalk. He would have night terrors um, where he had no idea. Uh, he was fully asleep, but he would get out of bed, go downstairs, and like my mom would like catch him in the kitchen and he would be having whole conversations with her. Um, and like, sometimes they'd be horrific. Like one time he would like 
she remembers he looked at his hands and he was like, they're bloody, they're bloody. My hands are bloody. And she would have to like violently like shake him awake to like snap him out of it. Um, That's strange. That was when he was an adult too. That's a, (coughs) a lot of people grow out of sleepwalking when they're kids. Like it's a lot more common when you're a kid, but you don't really, doesn't really carry on to adulthood. And uh, I, cause I slept walk when I was a kid, but I wouldn't do scary shit like that. Apparently I came downstairs crying one night cause uh, I, I wasn't a good enough hockey player or something. Like that. <laughs> I don't remember it. I'm like, I wasn't, a, I really wasn't. I was speaking the truth. I was a shitty hockey player, but like weird. Your mind is a strange thing. Yeah. I mean, so real quick, like my whole take on the brain is, um, that uh, DMT in the pineal gland explains virtually everything, Um, at least in terms of like unexplained phenomenon. Um, So for for those who haven't gone down the rabbit hole, Joe Rogan put out a video years ago that was about a 10-minute rant on some serious XM show uh, it was called Joe Rogan Explains Life, where he just explains what DMT is, and he tells everyone to read this book called DMT, The Spirit Molecule by Dr. Rick Strassman. That's a great book, by the way. Yeah, and so oh, I went out and read that read that book because I've been hyper uh, obsessed with the human mind for my whole life. Um, well, that's a good one to get. That's a wacky one, right? Well, it it just explained to me for the first time, so many things that hadn't, that essentially people had refused to give me an answer for. And I hate that shit. I hate when you're, especially when you're a kid and you're trying to get answers, you're trying to get answers about the world and people are just like, "Eh, we just don't know. Or, you know, just stop talking about that. You know, (laughs) we don't talk about that particular subject. And one (laughs) of the, we don't have the internet yet. Calm down, kid. Well, and, and one of the main subjects people don't want to talk about is insanity. Yeah. Just for whatever reason, society has an inability to face the reality that sometimes some people's brains break. Yeah. And we're, and we're only just now seeing a conscious awakening to the point where, you know, people are talking about mental health awareness generally. Yeah, that's a They're big thing about, now. That's like a trending thing now. It's weird. The whole bell talks. Like I'm glad it's I'm glad it's happening, but uh, it's happening in a weird way. You agree? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I used to get annoyed at the bell talks thing, but now I'm just like I'm just happy that I lived to see a world where people acknowledge it. Because for my whole life growing up, nobody would even acknowledge that it was a thing. It was just this very dismissive approach to, oh, those people are crazy and we just ignore them. We leave them to live on the streets and we don't help them. Like that never made sense to me, you know? And uh, almost drove me insane trying to figure out why the hell people can't just, you know, face this rather obvious problem that we all have. (laughs) Uh, And then nobody wants to even get into it. Uh, and, and so the, the book DMT, the spirit molecule to me explained for once a plausible explanation as to how a brain could break, how you could go from being functioning member of society one day to yelling about the CIA on the street the next day, you know, 
and and I also did that dance with my with my own mental health of just like I get it. I'm almost I'm like you know one little nudge from being the guy yelling on the street. You know, yeah. I've, I've been on that precipice. For That's a what while happens now. when you live in Toronto. It makes a lot of sense why there's so many crazy people there screaming on the street. I get it. I've wanted to scream on the street for no reason. But, but well and I, and I and I've talked to a lot of home like I lived in Vancouver for many years in the East End so I, I would just talk to them because I that was something else that bothered me about it. it was like why do people just have this they're so afraid of these you know quote unquote crazy people they can't even talk to them like they're not more often than not they're not gonna hurt you yeah you know? and that that's something I'm good at without even trying because I think crazy people just gravitated to me for some reason. Like, everywhere I go, they just, like, spot me out in the crowd, just walk right up to me and start talking to me. Like, I don't have a problem. If I'm in a hurry, I do, because crazy people like to talk. (laughs) You haven't met one before. But if I do have the time, I, you know, I feel fine talking to them, hanging out with them, chatting about what death is in front of a pizza place for an hour. Like that's yeah, it was one of my favorite fun. things to do. Favorite things to do in Vancouver is just take a, a homeless guy out for for a meal, and just tell me your life story. Tell me all your theories. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had in my life. Um, but I also like that about skateboard culture. Um, you know, I was never a good skateboarder, but my friends were. But I liked hanging out with the skaters because they were at the park, and they would always have this interesting relationship with the homeless people okay yeah yeah um they they had the drugs and i guess yeah hang out they had had those two yeah (laughs) but i didn't do a lot of drugs i I did a lot of weed and because i grew up in vancouver island yeah i mean this this is the other thing you're not calling it a drug yet you were from vancouver (laughs) just that's just uh the air you breathe over there well it's hard to explain to normal people what like my perspective is all skewered because like I grew up with really hardcore hippies. Um, And so my parents are American. So they have kind of like a more uh, anti-drug outlook than everyone I grew up with. I was like the, I was the only one of my friends whose parents weren't growing pot in the house openly, you know, like it's, (laughs) it's normal. Right. Like I have friends from, I went to school with kids from Hornby and Denman Island, which are islands off the coast of Vancouver Island. So these are like really get oh. away from it all. Hippies. Islands, islands off of an island. So yeah, you're getting out there. So like, like one of my best friends, his parents did LSD with him when he was like 11. Oh, well, that's a For great like, family experience. Like family LSD night was. And, <laughs> <laughs> at least it's, you know it's you know maybe not the most responsible thing but at least you're doing it together as a family i feel like if you understand what lsd could do for you that could have been a super positive experience for the family but you know i wouldn't be telling anyone else that yeah i wouldn't recommend it but at the same time when you when i compare and contrast the the really like hippie kids that i grew up with like the you know people whose first name is you know moonshine and you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
you know, their mom's naked in the garden uh, growing kale. Just setting them uh, up to be strippers. They already got the names. In the, in the 90s, before it was cool to grow kale naked in the garden. Hmm. Um, but the, it, it, all those kids who grew up in Denman and Hornby and Merville, the community I grew up in, are some of the most well-adjusted, smart, driven, motivated people. They didn't get involved in gangs. They didn't fuck up their lives, basically. I think it's uh, also, probably also the fact that they just live on this tiny island surrounded by nature in the ocean. That is, yeah, I think that is a huge that, effect on anyone that lives in areas. It's, pr- it's probably the biggest factor. But, you know, we would all sort of, because we went to school with the townies, the kids who grew up in town, and the hippie kids would all sort of like give each other knowing looks. And we all had sort of like a silent friendship of like, you know, we, we, we know uh, just a little, a, a different perspective than the way these other people are living, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I, I made a joke recently about doomsday preppers, or as we called them growing up, our parents, you know, cause my parents fled to the U S and live in the middle of nowhere and, you know, went to a well water, and a wood stove specifically because they thought the world was going to end in the seventies, you know, and they grew up. You're coming from a doom prepper family. Yeah. I mean, they grew, but you got to understand they grew up in America during the Cuban missile crisis. You know, they remember watching JFK on the news saying, you know, if we don't uh, nuke them first, they're going to nuke us, you know, like that's, that's their frame of reference. So Canadians don't necessarily, have that innate fear of doom hammered into them like america right and i feel like that you know like the cold war is obviously a lot more serious but the people involved like jfk and just uh whoever the russian guy was at the time those dudes were serious but now you get you got trump and you got kim jong-un going like i'm gonna bomb you no i'm gonna bomb you and it's gonna be great we're gonna get you first uh you're not gonna get us they're saying the same thing, but that was just ridiculous. You can't take them seriously anymore. But like that was a real threat back then. Yeah, because like you weren't getting bombarded with the media like you were today. Like you're getting one source. Yeah, that's a huge factor that nobody really talks about is you know, just how massively different uh the world is post internet, you know you have to forgive people pre 1995 from being brainwashed because they didn't have a choice, you know, unless they were meeting in the woods and having, you know, Eric Von Danigan book clubs, they weren't going to, uh, you know, access the same level of information that we have today where anyone can say anything. That's and true. write anything. Yeah, you really had to be and, a true eccentric back in the day to be into that stuff because you had to dig deep. You weren't just like falling down a YouTube hole. Like you had to go into some weird bookstore or just know some weird guy who's into like alchemy <laughs> and Aleister Crowley. Yeah. Just like there's very limited sources to all that weird. He's, he's stuff. pulling some some you know dusty scroll out of a chest. <laughs> yeah. Well, the farther back. My buddy Alan Park, who used to host the Conspiracy Queries podcast, he you know he's that guy from that generation, and he's got like 
gigantic hardcover books of you know the occult and rituals of the elite and all, you know, all this stuff that it, you know there's a thousand youtube channels dedicated to now well yeah that's true you be, you've been sending me a lot we should probably start getting into these right i couldn't keep up with all the youtube uh content you've been sending me which is where all the good uh good crazy conspiracy videos are now they're not all necessarily documentaries. Some of them are just like uh, stock photo slideshows with an ominous voice talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those <laughs> are good. Some of them are well produced. Like uh, the one you sent me today, uh, like Collapse of America, where it brought together like six scary old dudes and put them in a room. And they're all experts on how the world's going to end, but in a different way. And they just you just sat there and watched them argue about it for an hour, and it's just like, okay, there's no. Yeah, hope. if nobody's no seen hope. it, <laughs> if nobody's seen it, it's a great video to watch. It's called the Collapse of America. In fact, um, if you're gonna watch that, before you watch that, watch Collapse with Michael Rupert, yeah. who is, I'd say, the you host. Start, you you got to start with the host. Grand Poppy. Yeah. So that's the one you introduced me to. That one's incredible, Michael Rupert. He's a former police officer, CIA operative, who he exposed the CIA back in the 80s for smuggling drugs, bringing drugs into the country, making money off of it. And uh, eventually, uh, well, hit the whole documentary, it's basically about the collapse of, of oil, right? The peak oil and all the horrible situations that are going to occur after peak oil. That's his big deal. But isn't he a part of some like team of like, they kind of, see all these patterns and figure out what the future is going to kind of be. Um, Am I wrong? You yeah, well, used it, to work with him. Like what, what was he? Or was no, he I never, about? I never, I, I never got to talk to Michael directly. Uh, I just dealt with the guy who ran his website. So he had a team, very small team um, that, that ran his website, which was called collapse net. Um, and they would just do articles his main thing was he was an investigative journalist and he, he started out as a detective. Um, he, he wasn't in the CIA, by the way, his parents, I think were, Oh, okay. Uh, okay. His, his dad. I thought had, that's how he got the information. Got that. Cause he was involved. They're trying to get him involved and he refused and. He, no, his, yeah. I mean, he, he does get into that, that they tried to recruit him. Um, but he, he basically said his parents had, clearance above top secret so they were involved in some way in the intelligence community he was uh, <laughs> what's above top lost... secret what's that called the tippy top know. secret tippy top it, it was just tippy. something he would he would he would always say and then just sort of move on yeah <laughs> but uh he, he was a detective in a with the lapd and then he says that he uncovered the CIA bringing cocaine into uh, America, and then he confronted. Uh, Making the seventies awesome, yeah. Don't put a stop to that. <laughs> Can you imagine they put a stop to that? The seventies would have been ruined. Michael <laughs> Rupert would have ruined the seventies. The seventies were ruined. It was called the eighties. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyways, Rupert's That's how he got his start going from you know, being within the system to trying to rail against it, I guess. And he started a, a newsletter called Into the Wilderness. 
that was a, just like a mailed out physical newsletter in the 90s, I believe. And then he wrote a book called Crossing the Rubicon, which was all about how uh, the, the concept of crossing the Rubicon is he's prosecuting hypothetically Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld for 9-11. Yeah. Uh, and, but it, but it also really delves into peak oil and that's, and that was really after 9-11 was when he really got into peak oil from what I can tell. Um, and, uh, and peak oil is essentially on a microcosm, for example, they say that, you know, in, uh, I think the seventies, America as a country experienced peak oil already in that they had, you reach the top of the bell curve, where it's the most you're ever going to produce. And then from that point forward, it's all downhill. Yeah. You know? And their, their theory is that that's going to happen on a global scale and that it already probably has happened and we're on the downswing. That's and okay. That probably explains so many of the Gulf Wars, like trying to get in there and get access to that oil. Makes sense. Like, and that's sort of, that's Rupert's whole thing is everything in terms of geopolitics, in terms of money, in terms of how the, the way the world really works. You know, it's all about oil. And yeah. uh, what's his face? Uh, John Perkins, the economic hitman, sort of is him and Rupert combined paint, you know, a pretty bleak, but I feel realistic picture of how the world really works, you know, in terms of oil and money. And, you know, you always hear that, oh, it's all about money and it's all about oil, but no one ever gets into the details of how, like the fine mechanics of how it really works yeah. and why it's, why it is that way. And Rupert's theory is that, people don't understand how important oil is to our current level of population. So he would always show this graph of human population staying stagnant throughout history at about a billion people worldwide. And then you hit a point humans discover and begin to exploit petroleum and the graph spikes just, oh, to yeah. our current current level of 7 billion. Just lubes everyone up and just population skyrockets. And he's just, his whole thing is you cannot replace oil. Everyone who's talking about alternative energy, it's not about Dude, it's not it's, I, it's not I don't it's, it's not just energy and the main thing he says is just think of plastics. All plastic is is made from oil. So just plastic. try and imagine yeah. imagine the modern world without plastic. Oh, yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I forget watching like what documentary I was watching, but it was literally naming everything involved in oil that it possibly could. And then just, you know, I don't think they had enough time in the segment to name everything. They just had a list and they're just, I just couldn't believe it. I'm just, and then you watch Michael Rupert's it's all about peak oil. And you're like, all right, this is a, uh, all right, we're going to go back to the woods now. <laughs> Sticks and stones. Here we go. Well, it's just, it's an objective fact that oil is part of modern, you know, the underpinning of modern society. And it, and this is where the kind of hysterical environmental side of things doesn't 
grasp, and this is this was one of the things that Rupert really struggled trying to get across to people. He's just like, you can't just switch to wind because that doesn't solve the fact that all of our food is grown with pesticides, which are made from oil. Yeah, everything. All of yeah, everything. <laughs> like, made, everything those wind turbines are made of. Everything going into that, all the energy is all from oil. Yeah, like, uh, and even that. just he, he would just go into he called them oil powered machines, but he'd just be like, okay, so you want to grow uh, soy, uh, you know, um, what what's the name for like plants that they turn into to fuel biofuel? <laughs> yeah, biofuel. Uh, yeah. So turn so turn the planet into a bean farm. Just <laughs> that's that's gonna be the new thing. Well, 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 well ethanol with the farts corn ethanol was like the big solution for a while there but but rupert sort of broke that down why that's not going to work he's like you're you're you can't create and grow ethanol without using oil yeah <laughs> so it just right. does it doesn't work yeah, um it just sounds and that was yeah that was basically his main point was just everything that you're all of your solutions involve oil. You just don't realize it. I, yeah, I feel like we just need a reset, right? You know, you feel it's like it's like playing a video game, and you've gone. It's like one of those open world games. You've gotten so far, and you're you're about to beat the boss, and you realize you forgot to do some side mission that's supposed to get you a special item, and now you're screwed, and there's nothing you can do. And now you're just frustrated, so you just reset and <laughs> starting over. I think we absolutely needed this. Um, Would you call the pandemic a possible reset? Not a full reset. It's a definitely a, a societal reset. I, I don't have enough faith in humanity <laughs> that it will be. I mean, I lost, I lost faith in this ending well for the species after Fukushima and the Deep Horizon oil spill. Yeah. Uh, those two events happened pretty much back to back and right at, you know, at the height of the, you know, the Middle Eastern wars. And, but when those two specific events happened and humanity didn't remotely change their behavior, I sort of felt like nothing, like like nothing ever will. Yeah, you know, and you need to think bigger. I think that's the problem. The bigger the we, disaster, we, the bigger the change will be, especially if it's affecting the whole world. But but that's where I, you know, so Deepwater Horizon, there's a leak at the bottom of the ocean, and we can't plug it. And people might forget, but for one month the whole world just sat there watching that oil spill out. And we literally thought we might not know how to fix this. And every ocean on earth might get just filled with oil. And that would have been the end of us. So we watched that, ha we watched that possibility unfold. And then we didn't do it. You know, we're still drilling in Cause it deep oceans. It didn't unfold. That's why. Yeah, we go, Oh, it didn't happen. Okay, so I guess uh, so we won't change our behavior. That's and then exactly. Fukushima happens, and the same thing. You have radiation pouring out in the ocean, and to this day, I believe it's still they still out of yeah. They don't have an answer for that thing. <laughs> There's no solution. 
and you know you're literally watching like the genesis of a Godzilla film happening, and just, here we are. Just slide it and, under and the nobody, rock. and nobody changed their behavior. And and most people, if you bring up Fukushima to them today, they'll say, "What well, that happened years ago? It's over." Not like so. We do, we just don't seem to have it in us to think long term, or yeah. to remember long term. We just we we operate. You know, in terms of the whole species, we operate in the moment, and you know, this is where there's a big enough event to cause it yet. I think those are all my as as horrible as those events were. They're all fairly minor as a world spectrum. If you get something that just affects the entire world, like uh, you know, this pandemic right now, it's it's connected the world. It may not be a an insane impact that will change everything. It's going to change us for a, for a little while. You know, it might be just that thing we talk about. Hey, remember, remember when we just had to sit on our couch for six months and the government paid us to do it? It's like, that was a great time. But then like that's passed. But like, when you get a, yeah, I just, I just look at his, I look at history and I don't see any evidence that it's going to change us. Cause well, there's unless, been, unless we had world war, we had, we had world war, we had World War One directly leading into the Spanish flu. And, you know, you're talking hundreds of millions of deaths, and it, you know, it it didn't change the overall direction of the species one iota, other than leading to World War Two. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I find I find it very difficult to be optimistic about humans. Yeah, long term. The, the slow burn is the the probably the worst method to go out as a society where you know we continue to make mistakes to the point of no return whereas we slowly slide into the darkness but like you get a a big whammy event like i'd call this pandemic a a fairly big whammy event as far as people never ever thinking about this and never thinking this was uh gonna be a thing they'd have to go through even though history has proven it's happened over and over and over again and it's going to continue to happen over and over again this has rocked the whole world it can recover from this but all the but when you talk about something like a few weeks ago we talked about solar storms you get something like that that just annihilates our all of our electrical devices which you know that just that just puts an end to everything like our whole everything's such a complex system because everything's linked up to electricity and the internet and satellites and That'll all just end. The solar, like that'll change people for the long term. Yeah, Car- Carlin had a had a great bit about how all you would need to do is get rid of electricity, and watch how quickly the whole fucking thing falls apart. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it'll be a yeah. long time before you get back to it. We're just gonna slip back into nature. Whoever does survive those first horrible few decades of just humanity slowly dying and killing each other and there's going to be people lucky enough who are already in nature you know amazonian tribes you know tribes in the philippines africa they're already out there they're cool they're, they're running shit but like everywhere else it's just going to be chaos people dying of starvation people dying of disease people just just no access to health no access to anything anymore like you, well, if you if you well, don't, the, you don't uh, blend back into nature, you're just you're you're screwed. Well, and to go back to our 
conversation about you know ancient aliens and old civilizations that is the central tenet of every indigenous culture on earth is don't piss off the earth (laughs) respect mother nature and we laugh at those people and we you know colonize them and uh, commit genocide against them and take over their land and yeah but you know we're, yeah, we're all getting a we're all getting a real lovely dose of what indigenous people have been trying to tell us for a very long time, <laughs> which is the planet is alive, and you know, like my mom always says, it, it it will find a way to get rid of us long before we'll ever uh, yeah. do any real damage to this planet. Yeah, like we're like, a, we're an itch in the existence of the earth. That the earth is this huge just being this big conscious being and humanity is just this small little tiny function this little virus not even a virus you think about how long we've been here compared to how long the earth's been around we're essentially an itch you know she notices yeah i got an itch on my arm reach over scratch it gone like that's that's basically explains our existence that's how small it is that's how long we've been around compared to the rest of the earth that's what she's doing mother earth is itching us getting rid of the itch yeah and it could it could at any point get rid of us fully we are the crabs on the crotch of the earth (laughs) it's scratching us out get going to the doctor getting that cream and it's gonna get rid of us but here's a trippy thought i had recently is just to flip it around if you look at what we know about planets, even just in our own solar system, but now we're starting to look at planets in other solar systems. But just take our solar system. Of all nine planets, we're the only one that has quote-unquote life, although yeah. they're now finding water on Mars and stuff. Um, but, you know, we're, we scientifically believe that it, life is, can only exist um, with very specific Goldilocks temperature and distance from the sun, and uh, you know, all these things have to come together for life as we know it to be possible. Yeah. So, what if the water and the trees and the animals are the actual infection, and we are the antibody? And we're we're annihilating the the planet. Like our job, our our job is to come in and get rid of all this growth that has grown on what's supposed to be a barren rock. That's an interesting take on it. Yeah, <laughs> you look at yeah, you look at the other crappy planets. It's just like, yeah, we want to be crappy too. That's the deal. As far as we know, we haven't found another planet that contains life. There's, the, I think, one moon and on Saturn, Titan. Well, they say we're in the Goldilocks zone. We're in that perfect temperate zone. But, um, you know, they think Mars might have had a, a, a similar atmosphere to what we had. It could have had life just like ours. Just a different, it's, no, you know, it's farther from the sun. Different rotation, but, like, they could have had similar life forms to us. But there's I like, that it's got I like that I, I like that theory that that we actually came from Mars. Oh yeah, that's right. That, that <laughs> chunks because chunks of Mars have actually been found on Earth because there's been such intense sandstorms on the surface of Mars and the atmosphere is so thin now 
that it just knocks huge chunks into into the at, upper atmosphere that eventually make their way to Earth. Well, there's also a theory that there used to be life on Mars, and then it became uninhabitable, and our planet became inhabitable for whatever reason, temperature, distance from the sun. So they see it. So we we basically migrated from Mars over to, I think that was in Kurt Vonnegut's Sirens now, of Titan. That's right. But is that that's like a civilization moving from one planet to the next, right? Yeah. There's, there's a theory that with with like this debris that we find even now on Earth of of Mars rocks essentially making their way to Earth, either caused by solar storms and even asteroid impacts on the planet have knocked debris up into the sky. So they think that could have been a seed of Earth when Earth was in its super early ages, and it just you know almost needed that one piece of ingredient to get things going. There could have been life already happening on Mars. Something could have affected it there. Debris would have shot up, come down, landed on Earth, just like today. But back then, it would have been like the correct ingredients he needed for life. But so then what again, did you like, think? But then, like, where did Mars come from, right? Where did that life come from? <laughs> what did you think of the... One of the fascinating things I thought of, or, or I took out of that Collapse of America documentary... Um, was the 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 water guy in that? And, yeah. and basically, for for those they who bullied, haven't, seen, they 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 bullied the shit out of that guy. <laughs> like, well, I, I this guy with his hair, this nice head of hair. <laughs> everyone else is balding. Clearly, this guy's not as stressed as everyone else. <laughs> well, they came after him for his solutions, but I thought his diagnosis of the problem was pretty spot on. Oh yeah, in that. So, so for those who haven't watched it, the, the film is basically six doomsday guys sitting around and they all have like their primary theory. So Ruppert was the peak oil guy. Uh, yeah, like the economy this, guy. Yeah, there was, a, there was an economic AI collapse guy. The guy. Uh, guy who thought, yeah, AI and robots were going to take over and terminate us. And then... There was this one guy who was saying that, you know, all of that is irrelevant and the real and only problem that we should be focused on is water. And I thought it was a pretty fascinating take on things um, in that. So I just left the province of Ontario where Brandon and Tyler live. And one of the main reasons I left is that Nestle is currently sticking hoses into the aquifers and sucking up all of the water and nobody's doing anything to stop them. I, I believe they're doing it in BC as well. There's just more water out here, but you know, there's nothing more fundamental other than oxygen to life than water. And we are this psychotic species that actively poisons our own water. Yeah. And also and drain wastes it at an alarming weight. Yeah. Like it's this crazy suicide mission that we're just on. And, you know, I just look at the, like, money and government and uh, war, to me, are just byproducts of the reality that humans are a virus. But the water thing is one I don't, I really don't understand. <laughs> the, the willing destruction of the thing that keeps us alive makes no sense to me. No. Well, it's, it all comes down to the people in power. Once you get that power, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be in charge of Nestle. 
He can be the he can be the CEO of the largest baking company in the world. The power is going to get to you. Like doesn't matter what you're doing. It's just you know that's not the case for everyone. There's some incredible people out there with a lot of power and wealth and use it for good. But history has shown that that's generally not the case <laughs> in most people in power. And like that that's where that's where you get all these conspiracies of like. Like this globalization is one world government. All these people that own all the banks, they own everything in the world. They just want everything. Everything is going to be one. I'm like, that's what they think is happening right now. Like, I don't know enough about this whole one world government conspiracy to get into it. I'm sure you do. But like everything I do know about it, it does look like everything's playing out exactly how they want it to right now with this virus. The way they're shutting down everything they're sending everyone home you know they're at the point of nearly unleashing martial law and you know that's out of the playbook of of a uh, one world government <laughs> so like yeah, what's your take I mean, on all this you think you think this is uh, something they've planned or something they're gonna at least take advantage of if it is all real again i don't know and i never will and neither will any of us no. well we might but... i feel like these times are starting to you know when you're like alex jones is starting to make sense it's just like, like some of these conspiracies are really starting to come to the surface and not become a conspiracy anymore they're just becoming part of our lives yeah and it's happening faster and faster and again i go back to the access to information and the speed of information which brings up sort of the big primary conspiracy of the day which is 5g um and i don't know anything about that <laughs> you gotta you know give me the give me the quick synopsis on the 5g thing all right i'll try you know this is all such complicated stuff but i'll try and rattle off as quickly as possible okay so first first of all in terms of new world order one world government um you know i've often said that's not a bad goal provided it's a well uh designed and run government yeah uh and and the order isn't uh you know enslavement and uh you know if we're going to get to a point as a species where there's no more war and we can all travel freely and we don't have to be trapped into these menial slavery jobs just to keep you know nonsensical economy going that's yes that's where we should be headed in terms of our evolution as a species i feel like we are trying to run um you know grand theft auto 5 on an atari like our <laughs> operating system is sorry you can't say that word anymore <laughs> our operating system is archaic and outdated yeah. and by operating system i mean our financial system and our systems of government. They don't make any sense anymore. We're, the average person has so much information and we are so much further evolved that it doesn't make any sense to be following rules and systems that were created by literal cavemen compared to what we are today. Yeah. You know, you're talking about frontier, like people who lived by trapping furs and firing muskets. Like, yeah. Why are we listening? We, to yeah. We still, have the same, we still have the same rules. So what's going on? Can you do it? So like, that's, that's probably the biggest problem facing humanity is that we're stuck living in 
a completely irrelevant system and that's what and it's not like most people and and like you think about it it's not like people like oh we wrote it in paper now we can't change it it's just like no because they've been able to manipulate those rules over the years to gain a lot of power in different ways people have been able to manipulate manipulate those rules because they don't change people don't want them to change because it can't so everyone in power that'll just ruin everything they have yeah, and so and so in terms of you know is this um, you know the event that's going to bring in the new world order? Um, yeah, it seems to be, but it's but it also seems to me like that's been you know going on for decades, long before you and I were even born. Yeah, um, it's it seems to be just be the natural progression of the way things are headed, and like I said, that can be evil and. Um, dystopian or it could be you know a much better world well there's a word we use here very often on the podcast and that's called necessary evil (laughs) it's it's a fun word it's fun to say and uh it's a it brings a lot of strange emotions to light because sometimes you need horrible things to happen for greater things to happen and uh that could be what's happening right now with this pandemic you know it's going to it's going to swipe through our society. It's going to, it's going to kill a lot of people, not just old people. It's killing young people. And it's going to, you know, it's going to change our perspective for everything. And this whole one world government plan, you know, that these secret society people have been planning for, for decades and even hundreds of years, who knows how long. And like now it's finally playing out and they can, they can finally throw in their la- that last piece of the puzzle they need to get what they like. Everyone logged in. It's gonna, probably going to be a horrible few years before things get really back to a stable position. But you know, are you? Are would you be happy if that's what's me- greeting us on the other side? Is a one-world government? You know, which I don't you know. know. I mean, I, I, I'm just happy I lived to see the majority of the world talking about uh, all the kind of shit that I have always wanted to talk about that nobody wants to talk about. Me too. <laughs> Finally. You know? And, and, and now, we're not allowed, now we're locked away and we're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, but we're all connected. Um, right. So, so uh, I mean, there's so many angles to go at this. But yeah, I mean, that that's my like little hope is that so my my optimistic uh, positive look at this is um, so for example when nine eleven happened everyone f- argued over what happened on that day you know the documentary loose change came out yeah and people debated building seven and does jet fuel melt steel and they they're still arguing about what happened on that day. Um, and I always felt that that wasn't the problem that we needed to discuss uh, in terms of 9-11. In terms of 9-11, what we needed to talk about was what happened after that day. You know, yeah. all, the, all the wars and stripping away of rights and the Patriot Act, all the things that the powers that be did because of 9-11 was a much bigger concern, I feel, yeah. they just than what happened. Yeah, because people willingly gave up their freedom to be to be safe essentially so that this horrible atrocity wouldn't happen to them and their 
wouldn't happen to them and their family. And then that's, that's how these things get passed when no one's willing to stop it, at least not enough people. So that's where I'm concerned about this is, yeah, I, do, I don't want to see mandatory tracking and all these things, uh, mandatory implementation of 5G and smart cities. But on the flip side, I'm too, uh, I guess, you know, well-read and conscious to think that that's not going to happen. So I'm just preparing myself and like most people are right now, I think, let's just see how this plays out. And, you know, as of right now, I think we're in the right country for it. Tell you that much. (laughs) As of right now, you don't have any choice, but to sit and sort of see what happens next. What are they quote unquote going to do with this? You know, one thing that they are doing and we're already doing is rolling out a 5g network. So 5g is, um, if you look at your phone, when it's not attached to Wi-Fi, it'll say either LTE or 4G. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, it used to say 3G. And that's just a terminology that describes the essentially the strength of the signal. Yeah, it sounds like a piece uh, of technology progressing. <laughs> Numbers going up. Yeah. And so the concern in uh, the conspiracy circles, but also in the mainstream scientific circles, uh, Scientific America did a whole piece on this. There's a lot of scientists who are raising the alarm bell about the health effects of 5G. And they're saying that we don't even barely know the long-term effects of 3G and 4G because it hasn't been around long enough. Yeah. So there's no, there's no, there's not really any way for us to tell whether all these high frequency wireless, um, waves are doing really terrible things to our body but we do know that cancer is increasing and we do know that 10 years ago 20 years ago people weren't on a cell phone all day and they yeah. didn't have it in their pocket sitting next to their genitals all day yeah mine's mine's <laughs> hanging out of my genitals right next to my laptop which is also hanging out of my genitals I'm just frying them i mean i, I barbecue I, I, down there just like another shrimp on the bobby right <laughs> So, so 5G, they already rolled out in China in January, and now they are um, rolling it out across the rest of the world, basically. And um, the, the gist of it is, is that like earthquakes, you know, the difference between like a six-pointer on the Richter scale yeah. and a seven-pointer is, is a lot more than one. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's hundreds of times, I think. Yeah. I forget exactly how the math works out, but it's like each 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2 on the Richter scale is like a tenfold increase or something. Um, so that's the the gist of it with, they're saying that 5G is like a hundred times stronger than 4G and that it's such a leap that it's, 5G is where they're talking about um, essentially everything being perpetually connected. Okay, and and that's where China already is. Like this is the thing that most Western people don't get is China already won the space race. Like they are the world superpower, yeah. technologically speaking. They they leapfrogged the Western world primarily because they don't have the same freedom laws that we have and privacy laws. 
And so because they had a top-down dictatorship, they could just say, fuck you all, we're implementing 5G. It's going out across the country, and they just did it. You know? Yeah. And so all their citizens are on camera 24-7. It's literally like Minority Report. Like Everything's a cyber-connected That's grid, wild. essentially. And now, just, um, so they're stopping, they're trying to stop that happening here because of that reason or the health hazards that come with the 5G? Well, a, a very small group of people are trying to stop it here. Most people don't even know what it is or they, they just think, what, what do you it's mean? It's going to be faster? It's 5G, it's better. It's 4G, right? So get it. I mean, I, I, I said the same thing less than a year ago. I said to, to Alan, you know, I was reading some Reddit thread and somebody was, was listing 5G as their list of top concerns. And I was like, ah, well, that stupid idiot thinks that the internet <laughs> getting faster is a bad thing. But I hadn't done any actual research on it. And, you know, so it's the, just, the, def- you know, we're the default setting is... In- <laughs> we're going to faster internet and slower brains. That's basically the gist of it, right? Yeah. And I mean, the, the default setting of everyone in society is to dismiss anything that's conspiratorial or... but. Like you were saying, it's getting to the point where how many of these things have to come out as true before we start taking it a little more seriously. You know? yeah. Like um, I said, I was, listening, I, said, I was literally listening to a rant by Alex Jones the other day, who I think is a nut, and he's hilarious to listen to. And he sometimes he's on point. When I was listening to him the other day, it was on a bunch of crazy stuff. But I was just like, you know what? It's all falling in line. He's making sense. Maybe there are interdimensional elite pedophiles running this world. We don't know what's going on. <laughs> At this yeah, point, I mean, that's that's pretty much the point I'm at. Is just like, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. I mean, you know, the I, I said that I made a post about 5G recently and someone, you know, said, oh, it's time to get your tinfoil hat on. And I said, five years ago, it was time to get your tinfoil hat on if you said that the government was listening to your phone calls and reading your emails and engage and the elites were engaged in, you know, pedophile rings. Well, that's all mainstream facts now. So at what point do we, does does put on your tinfoil hat become not an insult, but you know, if you don't have your tinfoil hat on, you're just not paying attention. I I just don't understand this whole trying to control the masses it's it's like why like what's what's the point of it all like why do you want everyone on one i guess with such a large population it's easier if everyone's in the same mind frame right like the whole world can't live in these just tiny weird ass communities all split up it'd just be chaos which would be incredible i'd rather live that way well look again if it if it if it gets rid of a world that runs solely on you know wall street going up and down and money and um and a couple people being rich while the rest of us are their slaves you know that's a good thing so i'm optimistic right now i'm not optimistic as to what happens next yeah i don't know how it's gonna roll out that's all i mean (laughs) like i don't think the reaction the reaction from humans generally over the last course of the last month or two, I feel has been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it has been nice. And it's uh, like, okay, finally people are getting 
the memo that there's, you know, we shouldn't be running our whole societies based on currency. I know. And like the only despair and horrible things I'm seeing is only in the media. And I reach out to people I know or look at Facebook, you know, everyone's taken this soup just in a positive light. You know, people are like, I don't care. I lost my job. Like I'm with my family now. People are at home. They're doing things they never had time for. They're learning new skills. So me and Tyler talked about last time. It's like, we got, we got all this. We're stuck inside. We can't just watch Netflix the whole time. Right. I get to learn some skills. And like, I've been uh, learning about foraging and like all the, the local fauna in my area, everything I can eat. And it's pretty wild. I don't poison myself, but like, you know, it's something to do besides watching Netflix all day. Right. And we might be entering a world where I might have to go forage food to survive. You never know. That's like yeah, a, I mean, it's a useful I've, had, I've probably had a better time in the last 10 weeks than I ever have. <laughs> I hate to, I hate to say it, but I'm like, this has been a wonderful time for me. All the things I was working on that had to do with money melted away instantly. Yeah, that's true. And now I am reading books that I've wanted to read, you know, that I've been hoarding and haven't ever cracked open because I'm too busy trying to work and make money and make something happen. And I've gotten back into writing. I'm almost done the sequel to my book and I'm going for walks on the beach. Uh, I'm planning my escape. <laughs> I think uh, into, into the wilderness. That's where you, okay. You're not close enough. To well, I'm escaped, but I, I could get more escaped. You know? Okay. I'm, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the beach, and I have four different directions I could go. I can go mountains. I can go to islands. I can go into the woods. Oh, um, are you lucky? I, I can go cornfield or I can go tobacco field. That's what I, <laughs> those are my options. Which direction do I want to go? Well, my my mom literally told us when we were kids growing up, kids – you can see the mountains we're going to run to when the shit hits the fan. They're right out the window. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was literally like hammered into my head growing up. It was just like, there's the mountains. We will run to them. <laughs> That's I, mean, good. It's, it, I need some mountains right now. <laughs> mountains are a fantastic place to uh, escape nonsense. Well, there's, lot, there's none of that in London, Ontario. I've been finding, I've been going to the woods every day. I, uh, I've been I've been practicing social distancing. I'm not going to the park or anything. Like I'm finding far off trails. Like I'm I'm going on Google Maps, looking at the satellite pictures just to find pathways through random forests that don't even have like a parking lot or like official names or anything. Like that's that's where I'm trying to. You don't find anyone there. But man, I went to a few parks in London this week that I thought maybe. Not a lot of people around, you know, I can get on the trail, hit some side trails. I didn't even want to get out of my car because of the amount of people out there. Like they just, you know, obviously everyone gets the same idea. They're like, oh, can't, can't go to the restaurant, can't hang out in the park. Let's go for a hike. So then there's just like 300 people hiking. It's insane. Jogging. See, that's funny because the whole time. Jogging, just breathing, just trains of just. You just see the steam coming off of them. <laughs> God. That's so funny because like the last couple of years that I lived in Toronto, I lived uh, in Parkdale, which is like a rough community. 
uh, but right next to the beach. I never understood this aspect of Toronto. Um, it's a city for those that have never been there. The whole city's built on the shores of Lake Ontario, but nobody goes to the water except for like a month or two in the summer. The whole rest of the year, the, the ocean or the, the waterfront is completely empty. Looks like the it never made any sense to me. And so I, I would always, as part of my recovery over the last year, um, I had a bunch of health issues. I wasn't able to work. And when I wasn't able to work, I fell into a depression. And so part of my routine to work through the depression was to just get out, out of the house every day because I, I didn't have the physical stamina to, to work. And um, so it was literally like an ordeal to just haul myself out, walk down to the water, and I made a point of doing it every day. And there was nobody there. Yeah. This is a, a city of 3 million people. And all I ever read about from the, you know, people that lived in Toronto is how depressed they were and how it's <laughs> They're all hopeless. in cafes. They're all in cafes. Like you're, all, you're all sitting inside your half-bedroom apartments that you're paying way too much money for. And not once has it dawned on anyone to get out of your house and go down to the water and look at it. You know? <laughs> and maybe that'll help a little bit. It, it does help. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad these places are full. I'm happy and freaked out that they're full. Yeah, people are getting back to nature. It's just too many of them spread out a bit. But <laughs> like, it does help. It since this happened, every day just blends into the next. And like, I'm literally having to space out my hobbies by day. Like, I'm gonna draw on Tuesday. It's like I'm gonna edit all day Wednesday, just so there's a difference between each day. <laughs> like, it's insane. I've never gone through this before. I've never had this much time off. Because normally when I have time off, I'm out there. I'm doing stuff. Like, I'm going places. And, like, this is just time off with nothing. Nothing to work on. No work. And just time passes so strange. But going to the woods every day, that, that breaks it all up. That's, that's the one thing that's been helping me through this whole thing. Yeah, nature is so key. And, you know, again, we're just lucky that we're in Canada. I mean, it's... We, we really can't complain. Like anyone in Canada who's complaining right now should just shut up. Cause like compared to the entire rest of the world, you want to talk about like a place that, you know, couldn't be more perfect for self isolation. Like there's 37 million people in this country and we have a landmass the size of Russia. Yeah. We if, have nothing. If but we all space. decided to just go north, <laughs> we'd, we'd all have like a hundred acres to ourselves or more. <laughs> Right. Yeah, we have nothing but space and water and food. Like, we're gonna be fine. <laughs> the rest of the world, you know, is probably gonna try and come here and take it from us at some point. Yeah, and that's I used to do a stand-up bit about how you know Canadians are the dumbest people in history because like we won a musket fight 200 years ago and we think we just get to keep this shit forever. (laughs) We're we're so oblivious to how the real world works. Like there's no historical uh, comparison to Canada. Like it doesn't make any sense that we're allowed to exist. Yeah. We were mostly just here to get beaver pelts for rich dudes in England. That was Canada's purpose for a large majority of the time. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's just there's so few people to landmass. Like my sister lives in England, and when I first went to visit her there, that was the first thing that just like knocked me off my seat was just looking out the window. It's like every square inch of England is owned by somebody. It's a farm. It's a house. It's something. Like, yeah, Canada. It's not. <laughs> it's so spread out. Like there's. Yeah, you go to the city here, you'll you'll see the same thing. But between those cities, man, it's just nothing but space. Yeah, it's so just farmland and forests. And I, I used to work uh, as a tour guide. I'd take uh, backpackers from different parts of the world, take them across Canada, start in Toronto, go all the way out east, come back. They couldn't believe the distances we had to travel just to get from one city to the next. Like to the point where I'd start explaining to the Europeans a distance. We're like, all right, we're going to uh, Toronto to Montreal today, which is basically like driving all the way through Germany and then the edge of France. <laughs> <laughs> the only way yeah. we can understand because they can drive through like three countries in an hour, in like five hours, like nothing. They can get one, one end to the other in like a quarter of a day. And like, here we are, takes seven hours to get <laughs> like across New Brunswick. <laughs> yeah it's you know it's just such a massive ridiculously plentiful country that it's yeah. i don't know it, it, it's sad that like we allowed ourselves to be taken down this kind of like american mindset in, in our cities specifically because there's just there's no logical reason for canada to ever have any issues at all like yeah. we have so much and there's so few people to take care of like there shouldn't be poverty at all in this country yeah, like, cause not only yeah because we're an incredible country but it's just like you said the land mass we live on if every if let's say the solar flare did hit we lost all electricity we just have to go back to nature now we're in the perfect place for it you got so much room like everyone's just gonna spread out they're gonna get their own little patch Climate change is going to make everything warmer. There's going to be land opening up up north that has never been able to grow anything before is now alive because we barely have winter anymore, which isn't good. But at the same time, Canada is going to be thriving. Through in, term, in, in terms of where you want to be when the shit hits the fan, Canada, yeah. that's the answer. <laughs> we live, we have the Canadian shield for God's sakes. <laughs> it's just I mean the, like, the only uh, the only other place I can think of that's like uh, well I don't know I'm only saying this because I just went there but Costa Rica has really got shit figured out I mean they're already miles ahead of the rest of the world they're all they're all off grid um, they're living harmoniously with nature they've gotten rid of excess you know they just live off local food that's Rice awesome. And beans. I really want to. I had plans to go there, and I still do. Well, God knows when I'll be able to now. But you spent like a month down there, didn't you? Yeah, it was wild, and uh, it uh, it really like showed me. We were talking earlier about the the fork in the road that humanity has right now, which is, you know, okay, we've hit a crisis point, and we can go down a very dark version of the new world order or possibly a better one, you know, and I would say we need to look collectively as a species to Costa Rica for the, the model for the better world. Um, 
and select Scandinavian countries as well. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. We're, we're sitting here arguing over irrelevant political theories from like the 1800s that just aren't like, it's not one or the other. It doesn't have to be capitalism or socialism or communism. Like those are all outdated concepts, you know? And well, I think you're right. there are there there are countries that have a balance that have achieved you know a but, mix. But they're of, also very small, very small <laughs> countries. Though that's that makes a big difference too. When you have a much smaller country, hundred percent population. Because like yeah, yeah, the bigger the country, the crazier shit gets. <laughs> like look, just look at the world. Look how like how, how tiny Costa Rica is. They figured everything out. They're so happy. And then just look at America and China and Russia. It's just like, my God, smaller but it, but the better. We, but then we got Canada, the, huge, and Australia, two huge land masses. We're pretty cool. <laughs> but the the fork in the road that I feel happened with Canada was we used to be Costa Rica in our mindset. Yeah. You know, like that's why my parents moved here was because my uh, my uncle called Canada a nation of hobbits. And you know, more tight knit communities, right? Back then, well, yeah, we used to have a very sensible uh, agriculture and um, nature respecting society that I feel has strayed in recent years. And especially when I was living in Toronto, I really felt like I was watching, you know, what I thought Canada was and what I'd been raised to believe Canada was disappearing. You know, these giant condos that nobody lives in. And I saw the same thing happen when I lived in Vancouver. You know, it's just, it just turns into this sick money machine where people don't matter. Homeless people don't matter. It doesn't, you know, the working class has, has no dignity and nobody cares. The main, the main problem with Canada is that nobody cares. They're not engaged. They just let it happen. And, um, in Costa Rica, they really made a conscious decision around the 90s. Uh, the, all their forest cover was being uh, cut down. And, you know, much like most of Central and South America, big companies were coming in, taking all the land, taking all the fruit, taking all the trees. And they just they just stood up collectively as a people and said no. And they push back and uh, essentially turned their whole economy into um, ecotourism. I mean, their primary economic engine is, yeah. is ha having people come there and see uh, how, how they've done go. such a good job I with preservation. Yeah, like I was a kid, I was probably 11 or 12 years old when I went with my parents. And it was amazing because like me and my parents would always go to all-inclusive resorts and they all felt like the same. It didn't matter where you went. But like we went to Costa Rica to just like a random tiny little resort on all these crazy jungle cruises, saw like amazing animals. And it just felt way more authentic than any of these terrible resorts we went to before. And like it was funny because my parents, I didn't, I don't think they were ready for how real it was going to be either. Cause like I was young when I just, 
walking around this like random coastal city and my parents are just super white and Canadian. I could see how nervous they were because it just, it wasn't probably what they expected at all compared to what these where, resorts. Where did were. you go? I can't, I can't quite remember. We were on the West coast of Costa Rica. We're in a surf okay. town. It started with a J. Okay. Uh, Junga? I, I couldn't tell you. And then, um, I know, I know what it's called. I just can't remember either. Yeah, we stayed there. Yeah, it's it's Haco. It's called Haco. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a big. Uh, it's become quite a big tourist town now, but wasn't before, I guess. But it was. Uh, it was great. Went all kinds of rainforest tours, and but I definitely want to go back, man. It, it looks incredible. And same with like uh, like all the countries surrounding that. Like they're all, they're almost following suit. Like they've all had a lot of like really bad histories with war and like especially like when you think about it i'm amazed like costa rica has gotten away like with this kind of new world of change because like a lot of these central american countries whenever they some kind of like they're trying to change their government or society or they're you know someone's putting government that's going to put a real change to it mostly communism or socialism America has come in and stopped that or they put money into a militant group to like basically destroy the government in place like that. Yeah. And that, but that, but that's where Costa Ricans have found what I feel is the key. You know, they call it Pura Vida, Pure Life, but they're, they've, they've developed a philosophy that transcends politics yeah. and, so they work with Chinese, like China has taken over Costa Rica and so has America, you know, so they have corporate, they still have American corporations taking all their fruit. Yeah. And they still have Chinese, uh, the Chinese government uh, taking over their, essentially taking over their whole country. Yeah. Like they, they took all their fishing rights in exchange for like building this ridiculous soccer stadium in downtown San Jose. But when you t- when you get into the country and you talk to the locals, you can't phase these people. They're like, <laughs> they're unbelievable. They're just they constantly smiling, and they just get. One guy told me, people come here and think they're going to show us, you know, how life should be. It's like no no no. You come to Costa Rica and we show you how you're doing life wrong. You know we will tell you. He's like, we'll show you what's wrong with how you're living life. We've already figured it out. We don't need your help. (laughs) Like, why wouldn't? Yeah, it sounds like everyone would want to live in a place like that. And And they're just so any little they're just so happy. They're so happy and content, and they've it's all local. Like I said, all local food: papayas, bananas, uh, pineapples. Uh, and even where there's been economic devastation, they just don't let it get to them. It's it's just fascinating. Like they just they band together, and they move to a different place. You know, okay, China came and and destroyed this whole fishing community. Like they won't let us fish here anymore. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. we'll 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 get a wheelbarrow. We'll knock some coconuts out of the tree, and we'll sell it on the side of the road. And we just don't care. Like they they're un unfazable. It's amazing. 
All right. Well, and, I'm and, definitely, and the, definitely going to plan a trip there once air travel is allowed again. And it's safe. And, and they, they, they've just decided to put nature and happiness first. That's really all it is. They just they, they, decide, they decided to live harmoniously with nature and to take care of each other. And they have and they do it politically as well. Everyone has dental care and health care and the public transit's great and you know you what? Know. Maybe they should be running this one world government. You know what? Whoever these high up bankers are, just bow down, let Costa Rica take over, <laughs> make the whole world Costa Rica, right? It's the philosophy out there. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that they don't have problems. There's crime, there's poverty. You don't want to go out at night, especially as a white tourist. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just generally speaking, you talk to the average person and they're just, they're like Buddhist monks. Like they're so enlightened compared to the people you yeah. generally deal with like when, in our society. I went to Bali, I couldn't believe how ha uh, nice people were in Bali, like the people. And like a lot of the people I was interacting with are working in the tourism industry or service industry. Cause we're going to a lot of restaurants and stuff, but just everyone you meet, like we, we stayed in a place outside the tourist district in the main city, just because like we didn't want to deal with, cause we heard how intense it was in the main, in Dansapar in Bali. You're staying down like, cause if you're looking up an Airbnb or whatever, it always sends you to the same area, you know, cause it's just, that's where everything is. But like, that was just a tourist trap. So we stayed on the edge of town and it's like lovely little courtyard area. And like we had our own pool, but there's just like rice paddies in the middle of the neighborhood where everyone gets the rice from. We're walking around. There's just like random art shops, cafes open, no tourists anywhere. Like, and it was incredible. Everyone we saw was just super happy to see us waving at us and come over and talk to us. And, you know, they weren't trying to sell us anything because you go down, you head over to the beach, like where the tourist area is, like you are swamped with people because they're all trying to sell you something. But like out there, they just, yeah, they're all just super chill. They just want to ask where you're from and just chat with you, just talk about life and then just move on with their life. They weren't trying to sell you anything. And, it, and it's such a shock to the system when you're just like, these people are genuinely just nice and yeah. happy. Like, I, like it's such a foreign like, foreign concept to us as North Americans. Yeah, like I got to visit, I got to visit some friends there that now live there permanently. A uh, guy from Toronto and a girl from Australia. They own an axe throwing bar, and uh, they love it there. It's just they fell in love with the way of life. They went obviously just went there to travel, but just you know they met a few other expats and realized like we could do this too. <laughs> like they they i would be very easily convinced to move there like just perfect weather all the time like they every like the the food is incredible it's so cheap too like you get a three-course meal for just like eight bucks like our money but to them like that's obviously different currency like you get out a few hundred dollars and you're a millionaire there <laughs> well in their currency you have a million of million rupees which isn't that much but just yeah I, I studied bali for years because my mom wanted to take me there but we never never made it but we we researched bali for a really long time and it was it is yeah one of the it's odd how there's just these little pockets of 
just countries who, who got it right, you know. And, and again, I think it, it never comes from the top down. It's always the people. And out of Indonesia, they're the only Hindu country, uh, or the only, they, they have the only Hindu culture out of all those Indonesian islands. The rest are mostly Muslim, Catholic, Christian. And it's, uh, what a difference. There's some, there's some Buddhists in Bali as well, right? Yeah. Like the happiest people. Like they all believe in karma. So no one's pulling any, no one's pulling any tricks there. They're all just like, just, you know, they don't want anything bad to happen to them. So they're just going to be as good as they can to everyone else. It's incredible. I found out mushrooms there were legal up until 2008. I'm like god damn it <laughs> it's like because like <laughs> drugs are super illegal there you like you get caught with weed there you're, you're in jail for life if you have enough you can get killed they catch you dealing it but uh wow. but they were just selling mushrooms at the bar <laughs> apparently you can go to one island off of bali and uh you could still get them legally there you can get them in milkshakes or smoothies i guess just a mushroom smoothie but uh from what i heard it wasn't that strong Either they weren't putting enough in or it just wasn't a strong psychedelic mushroom. But I, I really wish those were there when I visited. <laughs> that would have made the adventure that much more exciting and uh, impactful. I, actually, I don't think I would have needed it because it was such a culture shock and just such a beautiful experience that it was a psychedelic trip in its own because I've never, totally. never really been anywhere like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a psychedelic trip called leptospirosis. That's a fun one. You ever done that? <laughs> no. Tell me about that. It's a highly deadly bacteria that I got via whitewater rafting in Costa Rica. Oh, man. <laughs> but it, but it, it, I had some great hallucinations while I was dying. <laughs> um, it, uh, it's... Um, was Essentially, this in the Costa Rica hospital? You're having hallucinations? Before then, but also in the hospital. Mostly before the hospital was when the, I had the kind of fever dreams. Yeah. But um, it, uh, it doesn't affect the locals because they're immune to it, because they grow up swimming in the water. Yeah. Um, but it is a extremely deadly to primarily white men. Um, so my girlfriend got the same infection but she just had a mild fever and it went away after two days yeah but if you did not grow up near the equator you're not going to have grown up with an immunity to this particular bacteria and do they warn you about it no not at all (laughs) it uh but when we were there which was last spring Costa Rica had about a seven-month drought. They normally have rains during January and February. Yeah. They had none. La- they had no rain last year. Crazy. Uh, so we go- we went in May, which is the height of the ra- beginning of their main rainy season, and it started to rain. So they were all excited. Uh, us less so, but the rain mostly happens at night. It was pretty much sunny every day we were there. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, essentially what happens is when you have drought this bacteria comes from diseased animal urine and so you would get it if you went swimming in the cam in Cambridge England or the 
Hudson River in New York or yeah. any any major city would have this bacteria in it coming from rat piss. Um, but in a tropical setting, what will happen is when you get long periods of drought, the cattle and livestock get sick. Yeah. And then the rains come and wash that into the rivers. And so I was basically swimming in pure poison. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. And it gets That's into you through. That's not your is it? No. No, especially not when your economy is built on ecotourism. So, um, so the, um, the, it enters you through cuts and abrasions. So I had mosquito bites all through my legs. Yeah. So it probably came in through there. Uh, so it was kind of like this perfect storm. The whole hospital couldn't figure out what was wrong with me for days. They ran every test, and the lead doctor actually asked my girlfriend if I was had taken any drugs. He's like, "You must be faking it. We can't find anything wrong with them." And uh, then uh, the like top infectious disease specialist came in and did a spinal tap. Yeah, and was able to confirm that it was leptospirosis. What's a spinal tap? I know it's an incredible movie, but in reality, <laughs> spinal tap. Uh, it's a really horrifying medical procedure, it especially like... especially when your mom works and has worked in the hospital your whole life. So I'd heard about spinal taps going wrong, which is like in the eighties when they like weren't <laughs> as cu- like I think they've gotten better at doing them. Yeah, basically. So mine was pretty smooth, but they can go horrifically wrong. But basically, they cut open a. You have to stay awake during the whole procedure. Oh no! And they cut they they cut open a chunk of your back and go into your spine and pull out uh, cerebral spinal fluid. Okay. And that tells them if you have meningitis or not. All right. I just picture like how they tap maple syrup. They just tap this little nozzle onto your back and twist it and, and like basically, yeah, that's basically what happens. Pretty much, yeah. You turn over on your side and you try and not think about what they're doing. <laughs> but mine was relatively painless. He's like, you, you know, they can't. But but the main thing is if like he's, it's such a precise procedure. If they like slip or sometimes they can like, you know, make a imperfect move and it's because you're in your spine it's so sensitive it can just be viciously painful but luckily mine went pretty smooth they confirmed that i had meningitis which essentially combined with all the other symptoms and the fact that i had been swimming in this particular river concluded that it was this particular bacteria Um, but when i got home to british columbia they were they were reporting cases of it there for the same reason, because of periods oh, really? of drought and flooding. Yeah, around UBC on the mainland. It was starting to show up in cattle there. Not not any human cases, but it was showing up in the animals. But you were the one human case. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one in tropical climates. It's quite common for yeah. tourists. They just, again, yeah, they, just, they don't include it in the brochure. <laughs> But it, it's not something you can get vaccinated for. Um, just, yeah. Can it happen? If you, 
If if you didn't grow up near the equator, you're going to want to avoid fresh water after a drought. <laughs> well, I'll keep that in mind. Hopefully, I, hopefully that's something I remember. I tend to remember a, a lot of stupid facts, so hopefully that's... Yeah, that's a, a, that's another way. That's another way we're doomed, Brandon. We can do a whole episode on bacteria, which is different than viruses. Oh boy! Yeah. Well, when we start <laughs> running low on episodes, but uh, this this has been a great episode. I'm I'm really happy uh, we got you on here finally. You've been uh, my favorite part is how we didn't get into any of the things that we planned on talking about. That's okay. You know, that's a more authentic <laughs> podcast. We just talked about what we wanted to. I feel like we had a good break from talk we you know we talked about the pandemic a bit but we we strayed away and i'm glad we did because we don't need to hear any more about the pandemic right now all right <laughs> we get it we all we all get to see what happens every day right we, we had initially intended to spend the episode talking about um media brainwashing but it, it only briefly came up and then we would move on to nine other tangential topics i wonder if brainwashing <laughs> caused us to do that who knows just to change the subject because you're not supposed to talk about brainwashing but who knows we'll bring that up again it'll be time we'll have you this on again for sure man you're, you're you're a deep well of uh knowledge on these things i i've only ever scratched the surface on most of those topics so we'll we'll bring you on again that was fun it was a good time. But yeah, it start, this, this all started because I sent you a video about 12 monkeys, right? It did. And it, it really started when you sent me the information about Collapse back when I lived in Toronto. That's where it all really started. <laughs> I guess so. You're, I didn't even think about that. I, I was just telling everyone who would listen about that movie after I saw it because it, it just had such a profound effect on me. Yeah. It's just like... I felt something like my whole life. I felt something was going to happen like this. You know? yeah. I didn't know what it was, but I was just like, it just, it just feels like during my life, you're going to see some global cataclysmic event. That's going to just change everything. And here we are. <laughs> and we'll be here next week too, with a brand new podcast. Maybe you'll be back. Maybe Tyler will have his power back on this time, and we can all chat. That would be fun. Maybe he'll be in the tobacco fields of Otterville cutting tobacco leaves to sell on the black market for toilet paper. That's not out of the possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe tobacco uh, makes really good toilet paper when you pulp it up. Yeah, you're going to have a browner asshole than you had before, that's for sure. <laughs> All, right. All right, good talk, Annie. That's, right. that's, that's about as good an ending as we're going to get, right? Yeah, we're doomed. We're, we're doomed. doomed. We're doomed.
yes, I fled to my hometown. I grew up on Vancouver Island in a town called Murrayville, just north of the Comox Sound. And uh, yeah, I had a couple near-death experiences over the last couple of years. Uh, haven't been able to work, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into all that. But uh, long story short, I got the got the f out of Dodge. I, I can swear on this thing. Oh, swear as much as you want. Okay. You get the, the fuck, fuck out, out of Dodge. Dodge. Yeah, <laughs> I got the fuck out of Dodge. Uh, just in time, but uh, again, we'll get into this in more detail. But yeah, essentially, I was in a hospital, uh, dying, and I had a bunch of visions, and uh, they pretty much added up to you don't want to be in Toronto. Uh, but I, I've also felt like getting out of the cities. I I've been in the collapse zeitgeist for a long time. I used to write for. Michael Ruppert's website, CollapseNet. Oh yeah, you introduced me to him. You, uh, I think you got you got me into that. We were talking one day about him, and I downloaded that documentary, and and here we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's my favorite documentary of all time. I think it's just uh, such a powerful and important film. And if you haven't watched it, go watch it now because five years ago when you were laughing at people like him and me. Uh, now maybe you're going to take it a little more seriously. I know. Uh, and to get even more serious, that guy killed himself. <laughs> yep. He's uh, a lot he, of people. He could not handle too much. Too. Yeah. He could not handle the information that he knew. Yeah. And it was pretty sad. He had uh, a podcast called the lifeboat hour. And after I watched the film, I, I contacted uh, the guy who was running his website and I was writing articles for them. And I was really kind of, in that world for a while. This was after the 2008 financial collapse, which of course by comparison to today was nothing, you know, but at no. the time it, it was being touted as, you know, the end of the world. Um, and of course, 2012 and the end of the Mayan calendar. I mean, I, I used to do a 10 minute chunk of stand up comedy about the apocalypse. And I laugh looking back at it now because all these signs of the apocalypse that I was talking about in the kind of mid 2000s to 2010s are now irrelevant. But it's it's one of my theories is that, you know, the revelations was written in such a way similar to Nostradamus predictions, um, you know, or any sort of clairvoyant 